chapter four of the fathers of new england by charles andrews this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter four early new england life the people who inhabited these little new england towns were from nearly every grade of english society but the greater number were men and women of humble birth laborers artisans and petty farmers drawn from town and country possessed of scanty education little or no financial capital and but slight experience with the larger world some were middle-class lawyers merchants and squires a few but very few were of higher rank while scores were of the soil coarse in language and habits and given to practices characteristic of the peasantry of england at that time the fact that hardly a fifth of those in massachusetts were professed christians renders it doubtful how far religious convictions were the only driving motive that sent hundreds of these men to new england the leaders were in a majority of cases university men familiar with good literature and possessed of good libraries but more cognizant of theology and philosophy than of the law and order of nature some were professional soldiers simple in thought as they were courageous in action while others were men of affairs who had acquired experience before the courts and in the counting-houses of england and were often amazingly versatile able to turn their hands to any business that confronted them for the great majority there was little opportunity in these early years to practice a trade or a profession except for the clergy who could preach in america with greater freedom than in england and for the occasional practitioner in physic or the law who as time went on found occasion to apply his knowledge in the household and the courts there was little else for any one to do than engage in farming fishing and trading with the indians or turn carpenter and cobbler according to demand the artisan became a farmer though still preserving his knack as a craftsman and expended his skill and his muscle in subduing a tough and unbroken soil new england was probably overstocked with men of strong minds and assertive dispositions it was settled by radicals who would never have left the mother country had they not possessed well-formed opinions regarding some of the most important aspects of religious and social life we may call them all puritans but as to the details of their puritanism they often differed as widely as did roundheads and cavaliers in england though representative of a common movement they were far from united in their beliefs or consistent in their political practices there was always something of the inquisitor at boston and of the monk at plymouth and in all the puritan colonies there prevailed a self-satisfied sense of importance as the chosen of god the controversies that arose over jurisdictions and boundaries and the niceties of doctrine are not edifying however honest may have been those who entered into them massachusetts and connecticut always showed a disposition to stretch their demands for territory to the utmost and to take what they could sometimes with little charity or forbearance the dominance of the church over the organization and methods of government 
and the rigid scrutiny of individual lives and habits of which the leaders notably those of massachusetts approved were hardly in accord with democracy or personal liberty of toleration except in rhode island there was none the unit of new england life was the town a self-governing community in large measure complete in itself and if left alone capable of maintaining a separate existence within certain limits it was independent of higher authority and in this respect it was unlike anything to be found in england at this period it was at bottom a religious community which owned and distributed the lands set apart for its occupation elected its own officials and passed local ordinances for its own well-being at first church members landholders and inhabitants tended to be identical but they gradually separated as time went on and as newcomers appeared and old residents migrated elsewhere before the end of the century the ecclesiastical society the board of land proprietors and the town proper even when largely composed of the same members acted as separate groups though the line of separation was often vague and was sometimes not drawn at all town meetings continued to be held in the meeting-house and land was distributed by the town in its collective capacity lands were parcelled out as they were needed in proportion to contributions to a common purchase fund or to family need and later according to the rateable value of a man's property the fathers of wallingford in connecticut considering that even single persons industrious and laborious might through the blessing of god increase and grow into families distributed to the meanest bachelor such a quantity of land as might in an ordinary way serve for the comfortable maintenance of a family sometimes allotments were equal often they varied greatly in size from an acre to fifty acres and even more but always they were determined by a desire to be fair and just the land was granted in full right and could be sold or bequeathed though at first only with the consent of the community with the grant generally went rights in woodland and pasture and even meadow land after the hay was got in was open to the use of the villagers the early new england town took into consideration the welfare and contentment of the individual but it rated as of even greater importance the interests of the whole body the settlements of new england inevitably presented great variations of local life and color stretching as they did from the plymouth trucking posts in maine through the fishing villages of saco and york and those on the piscataqua to the towns of long island and the frontier communities of western connecticut stamford and greenwich the inhabitants to the number of more than thirty thousand in sixteen forty were not only in possession of the coast but were also pushing their way into the interior to fishing and agriculture they added trading lumbering and commerce and were constantly reaching out for new lands and wider opportunities the pilgrims had hardly weathered their first hard winter when they rebuilt one of their shallops and sent it northward on fishing and trading voyages and later they sent one bark up the connecticut and another to open up communication with the dutch at new amsterdam pynchon was making springfield the centre of the fur trade of the interior though an overcrowding of merchants there was reducing profits and compelling the settlers to resort to agriculture for a living 
of all the colonies new haven was the most distinctly commercial stephen goodyear built a trucking house on an island below the great falls of the housatonic in sixteen forty two other new haven colonists engaged in ventures on delaware bay and in sixteen forty five the colony endeavored to open a direct trade with england but nearly every new haven enterprise failed and by sixteen sixty the wealth of the colony had materially diminished and the settlement had become little else than a colony of discouraged farmers among all the colonies in new england and elsewhere there was considerable coasting traffic and vessels went to newfoundland and bermuda and even to the distant west indies to madeira and to bilboa across the ocean ever since winthrop built the blessing of the bay in sixteen thirty one the first sea-going craft launched in new england massachusetts had been the leading commercial colony and her vessels occasionally made the long triangular voyage to jamaica and england and back to the bay the vessels carried planks pipes staves furs fish and provisions and exchanged them for sugar molasses household goods and other wares and commodities needed for the comfort and convenience of the colonists the older generation was passing away by sixteen sixty winthrop cotton hooker haynes bradford and whiting were dead davenport and roger williams were growing old some of the ablest men peters ledlow whitfield desborough hook had returned to england and others less conspicuous had gone to the west indies or to the adjacent colonies the younger men were coming on new arrivals were creeping in and a loosening of the old rigidity was affecting the social order the cambridge platform of sixteen forty eight which embodied the orthodox features of the congregational system as determined up to that time gave place to the half-way covenant of sixteen fifty seven and sixteen sixty two which owed its rise to the coming to maturity of the second generation the children of the first settlers now admitted to membership but not to full communion a wide departure from the original purpose of the founders rhode island continued to be the colony of separatism and soul liberty where seeker generalist anabaptist and religious anarchist of the william harris type found place though not always peace cotton mather later said there had never been such a variety of religions together on so small a spot as there had been in that colony the coming of the quakers to boston in sixteen fifty six bringing with them as they did some of the very religious ideas that had caused mrs hutchinson and john wheelwright to be driven into exile revived anew the old issue and roused the orthodox colonies to deny admission to ranters heretics quakers and the like boston burned their books as corrupt heretical and blasphemous flung these people into prison with every mark of indignity branded them as enemies of the established order in church and commonwealth and tried to prove that they were witches and emissaries of satan the first comers were sent back to barbados whence they came the next were returned to england those of sixteen fifty seven were scourged those of sixteen fifty eight under the massachusetts law of the previous year were mutilated and when all these measures had no effect under the harsher law of october sixteen fifty eight four were hanged one of these mary dyer though reprieved and banished persisted in returning to her death the quakers were scourged in plymouth branded in new haven flogged at the cart's tail on long island and chained to a wheelbarrow at new amsterdam upon connecticut they made almost no impression only in piscataqua 
rhode island nantucket and eastern long island did they find a resting-place to the awe inspired by the covenant with god was added the terror aroused by the dread power of satan and witchcraft inevitably took its place in the annals of new england puritanism as it had done for a century in the annals of the older world not one of the colonies except rhode island was free from its manifestations plymouth had two cases which came to trial but no executions connecticut and new haven had many trials and a number of executions beginning with that of alf young in windsor in sixteen forty seven the first execution for witchcraft in new england the witch panic a fearful exhibition of human terror appeared in massachusetts as early as sixteen forty eight and ran its sinister course for more than forty years involving high and low alike and disclosing an amazing amount of credulity and superstition to the puritan the power of satan was ever imminent working through friend or foe and using the human form as an instrument of injury to the chosen of god the great epidemic of witchcraft at salem in sixteen ninety two the climax and close of the delusion resulted in the imprisonment of over two hundred persons and the execution of nineteen some of those who sat in the court of trial later came to their senses and were heartily ashamed of their share in the proceedings the new englander of the seventeenth century courageous as he was and loyal to his religious convictions was in a majority of cases gifted with but a meagre mental outfit the unknown world frightened and appalled him satan warring with the righteous was an ever-present menace to his soul the will of god controlled the events of his daily life whether for good or ill the book of nature and the physiology and ailments of his own body he comprehended with the mind of a child he believed that the planet upon which he lived was the centre of the universe that the stars were burning vapours and the moon and comets agencies controlling human destinies strange portents presaged disaster or wrought evil works many a new englander's life was governed according to the supposed influence of the heavenly bodies bradford believed that there was a connection between a cyclone and an eclipse and morton defined an earthquake as a movement of wind shut up in the pores and bowels of the earth of medicine the puritans knew little and practised less they swallowed doses of weird and repelling concoctions wore charms and amulets found comfort and relief in internal and external remedies that could have had no possible influence upon the cause of the trouble and when all else failed they fell back upon the mercy and will of god surgery was a matter of tooth-pulling and bone-setting and though post-mortems were performed we have no knowledge of the skill of the practitioner the healing art as well as nursing and midwifery was frequently in the hands of women one of whom deposed i was able to live by my chirurgery but now i am blind and cannot see a wound much less dress it or make salves and jane hawkins of boston the bosom friend of mrs hutchinson was forbidden by the general courts to meddle in surgery or physic drink plasters or oils as well as religion the men who practised physic were generally home-bred making the greater part of their living at farming or agriculture some were ministers as well as physicians and one of them dr oliver wendell holmes is sorry to say took to drink and tumbled into the connecticut river and so ended there were a number of regularly trained doctors such as john clark of newbury fuller of plymouth rossiter of guilford and others and the younger winthrop though not a physician had more than a smattering of medicine the mass of the new englanders of the seventeenth century had but little education 
and but few opportunities for travel as early as sixteen forty two massachusetts required that every child should be taught to read and in sixteen forty seven enacted a law ordaining that every township should appoint a schoolmaster and that the larger towns should each set up a grammar school this well-known and much praised enactment which made education the handmaid of religion and was designed to stem the tide of religious indifference rising over the colony was better in intention than in execution it had little effect at first and even when under its provisions the common school gradually took root in new england the education given was of a very primitive variety harvard college itself chartered in sixteen thirty six was a seat of but a moderate amount of learning and at its best had only the training of the clergy in view in hartford and new haven grammar schools were founded under the bequest of governor hopkins but came to little in the seventeenth century in sixteen seventy four one robert bartlett left money for the setting up of a free school in new london for the teaching of latin to poor children but the hope was richer than the fulfilment in truth of education for the laity at this time in new england there was scarcely more than the rudiments of reading writing and arithmetic the frugal townspeople of new england generally deemed education an unnecessary expense the school laws were evaded and when complied with were more honored in the breach than in the observance even when honestly carried out they produced but slender results probably most people could sign their names after a fashion though many extant wills and depositions bear only the marks of their signers schoolmasters and town clerks had difficulties with spelling and grammar and the rural population were too much engrossed by their farm labors to find much time for the improvement of the mind except in the homes of the clergy and the leading men of the larger towns there were few books and those chiefly of a religious character the english bible and bunyan's pilgrim's progress printed in boston in sixteen eighty one were most frequently read and in the houses of the farmers the british almanac was occasionally found there were no newspapers and printing had as yet made little progress the daily routine of clearing the soil tilling the arable land raising corn rye wheat oats and flax of gathering iron ore from bogs and turpentine from pine trees and in other ways of providing the means of existence rendered life essentially stationary and isolated and the mind was but slightly quickened by association with the larger world a little journeying was done on foot on horseback or by water but the trip from colony to colony was rarely undertaken and even within the colony itself but few went far beyond the borders of their own townships except those who sat as deputies in the assembly or engaged in hunting trading fishing or in wars with the indians a connecticut man could speak of going abroad to rhode island though in the larger towns good houses were built generally of wood and sometimes of brick in the remoter districts the buildings were crude with rooms on one floor and a ladder to the chamber above where corn was frequently stored along the pawcatuck river families lived in cellars along with their pigs clabbers and shingles came in slowly as sawmills increased but at first nails and glass were rare luxuries conditions in such seaports as boston where ships came and went and higher standards of living prevailed must not be taken as typical of the whole country the buildings of boston in sixteen eighty three were spoken of as handsome joining one to another as in london with many large streets most of them paved with pebble stone money in the country towns was merchantable wheat peas pork and beef at prices current time was reckoned by the farmers according to the seasons 
not according to the calendar and men dated events by sweet corn time at the beginning of last hog time since indian harvest and the latter part of seed time for winter wheat new england was a frontier land far removed from the older civilizations and its people were always restive under restraint and convention they were in the main men and women of good sense sobriety and thrift who worked hard squandered nothing feared god and honored the king but the equipment they brought with them to america was insufficient at best and had to be replaced as the years wore on from resources developed on new england soil End of chapter four